Baptism is a matter of life and death because it tells the story of life and death. And so I want to ask you a question. If you've been baptized, who baptized you? Can you remember the circumstances surrounding it? When were you baptized? What was the day like? What was the moment like? Maybe more importantly, who shared the gospel with you? Who invited you to follow Jesus with them? Was it your mom, your dad, a grandparent, a friend, a roommate, maybe a college leader, a pastor, a neighbor, a family member? I think that it's very easy for us, the longer that we walk with Jesus, to forget what it was like to not walk with Jesus. I don't know if that's true for you. It's certainly true for me that it's easy to forget the wonder of salvation. It's easy to forget the miracle of salvation for me to just forget what it was like to be apart from God. And I wanted to take a moment to look at Romans 6 today because Paul is telling us that baptism is a matter of life and death. But I think there's actually something underneath that that he wants us to see. You see, Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. He's answering objections that the Roman church would have because he just told them in Romans 5 that they are justified not by works but by faith, by grace, by God's powerful activity in the world. And having heard this, Paul assumes that they may be thinking, well, if God has saved me by grace, can't I just live however I want? But Paul says no. What shall we say to these things? Are we to continue in sin just because there's a grace net? There's a grace covering? Paul says, by no means. He says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? He's saying, listen, if you've begun to experience life with Jesus, you wouldn't want to go back to life with sin because life with Jesus is better. Life with God is better than life apart from God. And he goes on to remind them, do you not know? That all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. What's he saying here? He's saying this, that our baptism is a picture. The baptism of water, when we put somebody in this baptistry here, and we pull them under, and we bring them back up, it's a picture. It's telling a story. And what's the story that it's telling? It's telling the story of Jesus it's telling the story of Jesus. You see, baptism isn't just this weird, funky thing that we do when somebody wants to follow Jesus. Baptism is painting a portrait. Baptism is painting a picture. And that picture is not a picture of our great work. It's a picture of Christ's great work through his death and resurrection. This is what Paul is saying. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? You see, we often think about salvation as new life. That salvation is a new life with God. That's true. But before salvation is resurrection, salvation is death. Salvation is death. Now, we don't want to talk about this side of it because it means that there's a part of us that's broken. There's a part of us that needs to die. And that's true. By nature, we are born broken. By nature, we are born mired in the muck of sin. By nature, we are born with holes in our heart. We are not how we were meant to be. Sin has done this. And yet, this salvation begins with death because we have to die to this old self. This is what Paul says in verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. Into death. What does Paul mean when he says this? He means that by nature, there's a part of us that has to die. Now, that's incredibly countercultural, isn't it? 
Because we live in a time in which it's very easy to say, well, listen, you should just, you do you. I'll be me, you do you. And there's nobody anywhere that should call into question the goodness and the value of you on your own. And yet Paul's saying there's actually something that's broken with me and with you from the very start, and it has to go away. It has to die so that something new can be born. It is dying to who we were before we enter into the death of Christ. That's what's happening. Like Paul says elsewhere in Galatians 2.20, I was crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. There has to be a death in salvation. The death of Christ is what we are baptized into when we step into the waters and we say, I no longer identify as who I was before I met God. I am now new. I have been made new. Our old self has to die because it's broken. But salvation is not just death, it's also resurrection. It's rising up into who we are now, who we have been made new in Christ. Like Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You see, let me tell you what the world will give you when they find out you're broken. And you've already experienced this, and if you haven't yet, you will soon. What the world will give you when they find out you're broken is condemnation. What Christ will give you when he finds out you're broken is salvation. Those are very different things. Many of us are over here waiting, hiding, trying to keep the world blissfully unaware of the brokenness that we know that we carry. Because we know that the moment that they see it, even the most compassionate of them, they'll condemn us. And yet Christ invites us to come to him and to experience life Why? Because he has already died the death that we deserve. We can be made a new creation because Christ died in our place. And this is the story of baptism. And it's the story I can't have us forget. Because the further we get away from the moment of our conversion, the easier it is to assume that everybody else is okay. That everybody else is fine. The, The further we get away from the wonder of our salvation, the easier it becomes to numb ourselves to the brokenness of the world. To distance ourselves. This is true for those who have been saved. That we were born spiritually dead in our sins, separated from God. But God, in Christ Jesus, death and resurrection has made us new. He has made us alive and we are baptized as a portrait of this reality. So let me ask you. What would have happened if the person who shared the gospel with you had it? What would have happened if the person who shared the gospel with you had it? Where would you be if your mom, your dad, your friend, your roommate, your neighbor, your pastor hadn't invited you to follow Jesus? Where would you be? Where would you be if you had not experienced God's grace and salvation? I don't know the specifics of where you'd be. But I do know the broad answer, because it's true for me too. I and you would be spiritually dead, separated from God on a course for hell. That's what life apart from God is. That's what was true of me. It's what would be true of any of us, apart from God's gracious intervention in this world. So let me ask you this. When you look at your life, And you look at the people around you. Who has God put in your life for you to give what was given to you? 
Will you be like the mom or the dad or the friend or the roommate or the pastor or the neighbor or the counselor who invited you and said, there is more room for the broken at this table and his grace never runs dry. I gotta tell you, I was seven years old when I heard this message and I can remember standing outside of a Sunday evening worship service. My dad was a pastor, and as a pastor's kid, you live in a fishbowl. I remember the deacons used to come and tell me when I dropped off the uh, honor roll of the A report cards. They would come and poke and prod me, let me know, hey, we see that you're messing up. And I was scared. I was scared because I knew at even a young age that I was never, ever, ever going to prove my worth on my own. Just wasn't. The, the judgment of the world constantly shifts. And whatever they measure you by today, they'll change it tomorrow. And I could feel, I could have, I had a sense, that, you know, I'm, I'm not measuring up. And I remember I came to my father after a Sunday evening church service, and I said, Dad, is Jesus for me? And I remember he got down on his knees, and he said, if he's for me, he's for anybody. And I can just remember the light bulb going off. Our world is full of people that don't need to hear your opinions as a Christian about whatever the current cultural hot button is. What they need to hear from you is that if Jesus is for me, he's for anybody. Maybe you feel like brokenness and shame is all you've known. Brokenness and shame is all you have in your past. Let me tell you something. If we start going blow for blow, we'll have matching report cards when it comes to failure, I promise you. But if Jesus is for me, he's for anybody. He looks out at all of us and says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Paul has said earlier in this letter, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. I don't know about you, but I don't know if I would be able to celebrate today after the year that we had apart from the hope that I have in Christ. The hope that carried us through the last year of darkness, danger, disruption, and death. And as I look out across my neighbors, as I look in my own home, as I look across this church, I have to think, what can I give that I know will be of grace? And there's one word that stands out, gospel, good news for the weary, good news for those who feel like there's no good news left in the world, because it feels that way. And yet Christ says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Let me just tell you something. Let us be a people who freely give what has been freely given to us, the hope of Christ Jesus. And you may think, Pastor, I don't even know where to start, so let me point you in some next steps. We've given your kids today worksheets. Go home and work through that worksheet with them. Talk to them about the gospel. Begin to read the Jesus Storybook Bible with them. Maybe once a week if you're not doing it at all. We've got plenty of them. We're constantly trying to give you Jesus Storybook Bibles. Just read it to them once a week and just ask them, what do you think about Jesus? For your family, for your friends, neighbors, coworkers, pick one person, begin to pray for them. Say, God, would you be gracious to them as you've been gracious to me? Ask them, how can I pray for you? And then pray for them. Invite them to church. Invite them to read the Bible with you. Invite them to do a Bible study. Invite them to your house for dinner. And none of this because they're a project. And all of this because the good news is that good. It's that good. Let it emerge from a place of love and genuine joy. 
that your cup overflows and the world can't help but be blessed by it. We're in this for the long game. If we are faithful to share the gospel and to pray, to invite people into our lives, into the ordinary and messy life of following Jesus, to show them that they don't have to clean themselves up before they come to God, God will be faithful. God will be faithful. And you might be thinking, listen, hey, pastor, I don't know that I would share this because I don't know that I trust in Jesus. Listen, I I get it. We certainly live in a world that would maybe give you reasons to doubt that Jesus is who he says he is. Maybe you feel that. You hear all this talk about sharing the gospel, and you're thinking, I'm not going to share the gospel. I don't even know that I believe the gospel. Either because I'm too broken or the world's too broken. I, I, I feel that. I really do. Both when it comes to shame and feeling like, well, that feels weird, and the world seems so broken. How could any of this be true? And yet Jesus is inviting us to be a people who move from death to life. Not because we're great, but because his work is great enough for us. And let me tell you, the Christian faith, so many of us hold on to our doubts, thinking that what we'll do is we'll explore them from outside the house. And Jesus, he's already shown you how he deals with doubters. You know what he says? He says, don't stand outside, come to the table. He doesn't say, hey, believe and then you can touch me. He says, touch me and then believe. So you may feel like, listen, I'm too messy, and Jesus says, I'll make you clean. You may believe, listen, my doubts are too strong, and Jesus says that he can bear them. You may think the world is too broken, and Jesus would agree. That's why he's coming again. And that's why we preach the message of the gospel. Because in this moment that we're in right now, we're in a time of invitation. But the time of invitation ends. King Jesus is coming. Maybe today, maybe tomorrow, but this is what Paul knows. And this is why he appeals to the church. Do not forget your baptism story. It is a matter of life and death. Stay near to the moment where you realize all you needed was all that Christ provided, which is grace. And he gives it lavishly and he gives it abundantly. We come to Jesus and we invite all who are weary to come to Jesus because he is strong enough to carry us even when we're not strong enough to stand. And that, that's good news after the year that we've had. That's why we can celebrate, because the gospel is not about you and me being great or better than. The gospel is the good news that Christ has come, that he has covered our debt, and that he's coming again to make the whole world right again. And if that's not newsworthy of celebration, I I have nothing else to say. That's what the good news is. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We ask your blessing over us. God, I pray for the weary hearts the hearts that feel so mired by doubt, disbelief, shame, discouragement. I ask you, Lord, that you would bless them. Give them the gift of faith and trust. Encourage, God, the flame, the spark that you have lit there. As we continue to pray, I want to invite you. If you're a Christian, I want to invite you to just spend a moment praying for someone else, someone who needs to be encouraged by the good news of the gospel, someone who needs to hear the good news of the gospel. Just find a name. It could be a child that you have. It could be a family member. It could be a friend. It could be a neighbor. It could be a coworker. Just find one person and begin to pray for them. Just pray that God would bless them with the good news of the gospel, that they would begin to walk with Jesus, that they would find wholeness and healing and forgiveness in him. Just pray for that person. Let me give you a moment to do that.
for others of you, you may be thinking, listen, I'm more in that other group you were talking about. I haven't believed upon Jesus. I haven't trusted in him. I want to invite you to just pray. There's no magic phrase. There's no incantation. There aren't any holy words. But to just come to God and say, God, I know that I need you. Would you save me? God, I know I need your grace. Would you forgive me? Just say, God, would you, would you give me faith in Jesus? Would you give me trust? Just, just ask God for that. Maybe you're even bold enough to just say, I, I don't even know that God is up there. Maybe you would just be bold enough to say, God, if you're there, would you speak to me? You're gracious, God. You are worthy of our worship. We pray, God, that as we take the Lord's Supper together, that you would remind us of the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. In the name of Christ, amen.